Thanks, I think it is. Um, welcome to our Journey to the Manger, part two, I guess. We've got two more parts, at least for this year. Um, you know, we're going to have a Christmas party tonight, uh, uh, which involves food and fellowship and everything. It reminds me of a, of a football player a long time ago. He was a little country boy, but he was real good at football, and he was recruited at one of them Ivy League schools, you know, up in New York area or whatever back east. And, and he was so poor as a country boy as he went to play football, he was able to stay on campus during Christmas because he couldn't be traveling back and forth. You know, he was just a country boy, didn't have much money. And he was at that Christmas party that they allowed for all the Ivy League schools to kind of go to because other kids maybe were staying in the area. And that old country boy, he's just kind of over there checking out the different food and everything. But he was over by the punch bowl, and he saw this cute little girl over there, you know, a little country boy saw this cute little girl. And as he was over by the punch bowl, he looked at that pretty girl, and he says, what school you go to? She said, Yale. He said, I said, what school did you go to? But anyway, so Christmas party. We're going to have fun, okay? We're going to have a good time. Uh, that was probably found in some knock-knock joke book that I read one time, uh, some of my real heavy reading. But this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 39 through 56. I'm not going to read all those at this moment, but we are going to read verse 51 through 56. If you want to uh, stand for that reading, I would be happy to read that with you. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good tidings and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we <clears throat> come to you this morning. And Father, we surrender this time where we congregate together uh, to sing, fellowship, pray to our God, the God of the Bible. And then, Father, we set aside a time to open your word that your spirit may speak to our hearts, renew our minds. So, Father, today as we look at this second part of, of the journey to the manger, uh, may your spirit lead us into all truth. May you help me to stick to the text, walk away from the text when we're done, and help us to glean, Father, not only collectively, perhaps what you put on my heart to give to your people, but as individuals, may we uh, grasp, may something leap out of that page to us as an individual. So that when we leave these four walls, Father, we, we walk out of these four walls a little bit different, a little bit closer to you, a little bit more drawn to you, with a deeper desire for you, a deeper thirst and hunger and satisfaction of you. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I've entitled this message, The Living Confirmation of the Savior. The Living Confirmation of the Savior. Last week we talked about the miraculous conception 
of the Savior where we found out that when Mary was going to conceive this child, this Son of God, this one that he said called Jesus, we, it was a miracle <clears throat> that she conceived because she didn't know a man and it wasn't some weird cohabitation between some deity and a human. <clears throat> God miraculously, through the Holy Spirit, placed the Christ child in her womb. Therefore, he would be fully God, but yet fully man, but yet without sin. And being fully God, he would uh, be able to be that sinless one to die on the cross for us, but yet being fully man, he could be fully tempted, but yet without sin. Therefore, on the cross, he was the one and only one that could be the sacrifice to save us from our sins because he was fully God and fully man. He could relate to us in our temptations. Well, we saw that last week in that miraculous conception. By the way, it wasn't an immaculate conception because if we call it an immaculate conception, then we believe she was also sinless, and she wasn't. We'll find that out today. We'll find out today that even Mary needs God, needs a Savior. And so it wasn't an immaculate conception. It was a miraculous conception. Now, if, if immaculate comes out of your mouth, don't, don't worry. I mean, we're not word police around here. I know what you mean when we say that, right? At least I do. And speaking of immaculate conception, not that I've ever seen one, but when I grew up in North Tulsa, Lombard Elementary didn't have a baseball team. The only other school was Shoto Elementary over there in North Tulsa. But just down the road from me, past the Osage Apartments, was the Immaculate Conception School. And so I played baseball for two or three years for the IC Tigers. That's what they called us. All we had was a pitching shirt and a pair of jeans and, you know, age first grade or something until I was about third grade. And then I played for show till that last year because, I mean, I learned how to pitch. And, and they, they recruited me from my neighborhood. But anyway, so that's the, only, that's the first time I've heard the word, words Immaculate Conception. I didn't know what it meant. But yeah, she wasn't perfect, was she? She needed a Savior. Well, this living confirmation, you know, she's, she's been told you're going to conceive. Uh, it's going to be the Son of God. His name is going to be Jesus. And in her awe, she's like, how can that be? And he explains to her, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come over you. It's going to be a miracle. And God's going to do something. And then he tells her about another miracle that's just happened to one of her cousins named Elizabeth. He said, she's got a child and she's beyond age. And he says, nothing's impossible with God. So he's explaining to her that not only am I going to do a miracle in you as the son of God, but I've already done a miracle in your cousin Elizabeth. And she's already with child. And she's beyond age. Well, today, she goes to see her cousin Mary. It's been six months since Elizabeth found out that she had a child and his name's going to be John and that he's going to be a predecessor of the one Messiah that's coming. It's been six months and now Mary gets her word from God and she receives that idea that she's going to conceive the Son of God through a miracle. Well, now in our story, she makes haste to go see cousin Elizabeth after six months. And then, of course, we read in the last verse, she stayed there three months. So that means she stayed until John the Baptist was born. Okay? That's what we see here in a timeline. And what we're going to see in this story, in this part of the story, is that she's already been told, you're going to conceive. It's going to be a miracle. Not only is there a miracle that you're going to have the Son of God, but your cousin Elizabeth had a miracle too. Beyond her age, she has one too. Maybe not 
the Son of God, but she has one that will precede. He'll have his place. So what she's going to do is she's going to go to her cousin to find confirmation. She's going to go to her cousin to find someone of like common experience. Elizabeth's been blessed with a miracle. Mary just found out she's going to be blessed with a miracle, so she wants to go talk to her cousin because they have something in common. God has done a miracle to bless them. And so we're going to see that in the story. In verse 39 through 45, in this living confirmation of the Savior, in verse 39 through 45, Mary hurried to share a common blessing of the good news. Mary hurried to share a common blessing of the good news. Look at verse 39 through 45 with me. Now Mary arose in those days, that is, after she got her message right, and she'd been told Elizabeth has it, one, two, a blessing. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. How many of y'all remember Garnett Cole being our director of missions in the Tulsa Metro? When he would preach, he'd say, I hasten to say this. And I was a brand new believer, like, what's hasten? He goes, that means I hurry, I, I want to say it quick. Well, she hastened. She went to the hill country with haste to a city in Judah, verse 40, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe, that is the babe in Elizabeth's womb, leaped. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out as if she was prophesying or speaking a message of God. She spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You know, she wasn't there when Mary was told it's the Son of God, right? She wasn't there when Mary was told his name will be Jesus. God filled her with the Spirit, leaped and get a confirmation in her own spirit that you're, you're the mother of our Lord. Verse 44. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded, she tells her in my ears, the babe that is my babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed. That's why she's not immaculate. She has to believe, right? Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which the Lord told her, which, which were told her from the Lord. Mary hurries. Mary gets her message. Elizabeth's already had her message. She's had John for a while now, six months. Mary gets her message, so she hastes to go see Elizabeth, who has that common experience that God has blessed her through a miracle. Now, one's through John the Baptist, who, if you remember, God said, he's going to be great. But nowhere did God tell Elizabeth that he's the son of God, right? So she's blessed with a miracle, and he's going to have his place of greatness. And then Mary's told, you're going to have the son of God, the Messiah, Jesus. And she was blessed, and he has his place, right? 
And even if we were to go to the book of John where it talks about John the Baptist meeting Jesus, behold, you know, the Lamb of God, he even says, I'm not even worthy to do your laces or your shoes. He understood his place, but yet it was great. And even Jesus later on said he was the greatest prophet that there ever was. But yet, you know what about that great prophet? His ministry was real short. You ever thought about someone being called to ministry like John the Baptist and his ministry is short? But yet you think about how powerful his ministry was. But it was short. Short-lived. But on the other hand, you think of Jeremiah. In the first, first part of Jeremiah, God begins to tell Jeremiah, I've called you to speak the message of God to these people. And he gets this call. And this is Jeremiah's call. And when you speak to them, it would be like talking to a rock. How'd you like to be called to that ministry? Every time you speak, it just hits a rock and falls to the ground. That's why he was the weeping prophet. He was brokenhearted. They didn't hear when he was saying, turn from your idols. Turn from your wicked ways. Well, John the Baptist was called too. He had his place. Jesus. So she hurried she hurried to Elizabeth to share that common blessing of the good news that she had heard that the Son of God's going to be in my womb. And the good news Elizabeth heard that the ones coming before the Messiah, they had heard some good news. Now let me bring you a little context here. When, when God spoke to Elizabeth, when God spoke to Mary, God had spoken a revelation to them. In what context? that for 400 years prior to that, God had remained silent. These people were waiting and waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the good news of the Messiah to come. They were waiting and waiting, and pretty soon they were waiting in no anticipation. They were waiting in hopelessness. They were overtaken by the pagan world around them. Now, sometimes that was part of their problem, right? Remember in the Old Testament, they're always going back to idols or allowing things to taint their worship with God. But the point is, is there they were for 400 years without a prophet ever speaking. And now John the Baptist, a prophet's coming who will proclaim the come the day of the Lord. And now Mary says, wow, hmm. God has blessed me with this good news that I've got the Son of God. And I've heard that my cousin Elizabeth had a same similar type miracle. I need to go talk to her about what we have in common. She hurried to share that common blessing of the good news. Mary visits her cousin whom God has also blessed with a miracle. Mary visits her cousin whom God has also revealed the Savior, because Elizabeth wasn't there when Mary heard what she heard, but when, but when Mary got there and said, greetings, cousin Elizabeth, the babe in her leapt up, right, in joy. She was filled with the Spirit, and out of her mouth was the message of God, and she said, how am I so blessed for the mother of my Lord to be here? She wasn't privy to Mary's conversation, wasn't she? God revealed that to her. And Mary hurried to visit her cousin because they had that common miracle blessing. And as she went there to visit in hurry, her cousin had also at that time been revealed, like Mary been revealed, that the Son of God is here. 
the Messiah is here. Mary hurried to see Elizabeth so that they could share this common blessing, this like experience of a miracle of the good news. Mary rushed to share. Mary was stained to learn and hear what Elizabeth had to say about her miracle. And Mary heard a confirmation of what she was told because that's what Elizabeth said because she knows Elizabeth wasn't part of that prayer conversation, right? How am I even blessed to have you here, the mother of my Lord? She got a confirmation, a living confirmation. She got a word from God, as we would say, maybe in the, in the theological words. She got a word from one of God's people that they know now what she already knew. I have a friend. We haven't done ministry for a while, but I worked with him somewhere. We popped rivets at a place. And we had that camaraderie spirit. I mean, I knew the Lord. He knew the Lord. I was more of a Baptistic, you know, persuasion. He was more of a charismatic persuasion. But that, as you talk about, that gospel is what brought us together. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's the truth, the way, and the life. And so what me and my friend Randy would do is we went over to the shipping department because we decided we were going to do some street preaching in Owasso, Oklahoma. And we took two two two-by-fours and took some of the nails off the rivets and used those to, and we asked permission and tied everything together. So we stuck that in the back of my F-150. And that very next Saturday, um, he had made him one too, by the way. That next Saturday, I dropped him off at, at 86th and Main Street across the street from Tasty Freezer in Owasso. And he had his cross and he had his little Bible, you know. I can't remember if it was wintertime or summer or springtime. Then I drove down by Sox Drugs at 76th Street North of Maine. And I knew on the corner he was on there was no business. But I went down there to Sox Drugs. And I went in there to talk to Mr. Melvin. I didn't have my cross with me. I said, Mr. Melvin, I said, I would like to stay on the street corner here outside of your drugstore and preach the gospel. He says, are you going to bother my customers coming in? I said, no, sir. I said, I'm just going to stand there. And I'm just going to preach. He's going to preach. He said, all right. As long as you don't bother my customers, in and out, no problem. Well, I'd already checked with the city clerk to make sure I didn't need a license or anything weird to do that. She said, hey, if you're not popping up a tent, go for it. Well, that particular Saturday, Randy's down at 86th of Maine. I'm at 76th of Maine. I pull in behind somewhere in park, maybe at the old, old Tasco. And I got that cross on my shoulder. I got my little green Gideon's Bible. And I, I'm probably preaching John 3.16. And I'm looking there, and there was some light. There was a stop sign there at that time in Owasso. And about the time I'm about halfway through this John 3.16 message, I look over there, and there's this nice-looking El Camino pull up there, and both of them are my classmates. And I make eye contact, and the windows go up, and they take off. They take off. And then pretty soon, I'm preaching that same message over again, I don't know if anybody's hearing me, but I didn't have a place to preach. I just wanted to preach. I had a fire in my bones, and I just needed to cut. I mean, I'd already done some ministry down at the silver mine and stuff. But anyway, so pretty soon, I see a police car go by, and he parks over where I'm parking. And I'm just preaching away. All of a sudden, someone taps me on the shoulder. I, yes, sir. There's a police officer. And he said, hey, uh, you can't be doing this. I said, well, I talked to the city clerk, you know, that, you know. No, I can't do that. And he literally put handcuffs on me. 
He's going to put me in the car. And I said, you need to call so-and-so, the city clerk. And he, through the dispatch, he did. She said, get the cuffs off of him. And I continued to preach for another couple of weeks there until things changed. But my point is this. Me and Randy had something in common. We had that common faith in Jesus Christ. Even though there was distinctive differences, we took what was common and we let iron sharpen iron. Well, Mary is going to Elizabeth. I've heard Elizabeth's had a miracle of birth. I need to tell her about my miracle birth, the good news. And Elizabeth talks to her and says, you have the Son of God. She hurried to share that common blessing of the good news. She hurried, she hasted, because they had something in common. The second thing we see in this living confirmation of the Savior, not only did Mary hurry to share that common blessing of the good news, but Mary heralded, heralded before God the common confession of that good news. She heralded before God the common confession of the good news. They call this the Magnificent, right? Because she sings a song about the magnificence of God, the magnificence of the Son of God. Look at verse 46 through 50. Mary heralded before God a common confession of the good news. And Mary said, what, what was she saying this to? She was saying this to Elizabeth who said, why am I worthy to be in the presence of the mother of the Lord? And she says, you are blessed because you believed. Therefore, she says, Mary, the fulfillment of what God said is going to happen. So Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced. In God, my Savior. She needed to be saved, right? She wasn't perfect. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, from this point forward, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary had heard what God was doing to her. God told her that Elizabeth had a same similar type miracle and that nothing's impossible with God. He even told her she was six months along. So she hurries, she gets there to share this common experience, this common blessing of the good news. And as she gets there, Elizabeth confirms, you're going to have what God says is going to happen. And her response to that in that confirmation is she, <clears throat> she heralds something out to God about the magnificent, magnificence, the greatness of what has happened. And she heralds it before God as good news. What about that good news? Well, Mary in this confirmation of Elizabeth, as she responds, she recognizes that God, God as her Savior and her place in that redemption. She recognizes God as her Savior and her place in that redemptive story. Because she said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. She recognizes God is her Savior and her place in that redemptive story. 
she recognizes God's plan to save generations to come and that place in redemption. Because she went on to say that it will go from generation to generation as God in his mighty power will do a great thing, not only in her and her place in it, but what he's going to do for generations. She hurries. She heralds. Mary rejoiced in God's plan. Mary received and believed God's plan. And then Mary recited God's plan. This gospel has not only come to me to live in my womb because God is my Savior, but it will go to generation to generation. One of the things you'll find out about me is, is uh, when I see little kids like that, listen to stories, little ones, they're important to me. Number one, because I like to be a kid, as you haven't figured that out. Sometimes I'm kind of sophomoreish, but that's okay. That's just how I roll. But I love little kids. I'm going to tell you why. Because as Paul told Timothy, you're going to take this gospel, what you've seen and heard of me, and you're going to pass it down to other faithful men and women. Whether that's generationally down, right, to little kids, or maybe generationally up. You're going to pass it on to other generations. The gospel is a generational thing. Now, I'm not saying that it only happens in the home because it doesn't. But as I told you, I think it was Sunday night. I believe how the home goes, the home family, so goes the church family. And if you're having a struggle in your family, guess what? It affects this family. It doesn't necessarily mean you're in sin. It just means if you're going through some trouble, it ought to trouble us. If you're going through some success, it ought to rejoice us. Of course, we're the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. And Mary realized that Elizabeth's had a miracle. I've had a miracle. We've shared this common good news, and she's revealed to me that God's going to give. So she responds by reciting God's plan, and that is for me to have a personal Savior. That's part of God's plan, right? And so that my personal Savior can be passed down to other generations. Mary hurries to share that common blessing of the good news of the Savior. She heralds before God a common confession. I need you as my Savior. Others need you. Her common confession of the good news. Then in verse 51 through 56, Mary highlights with confidence a common trust of the good news. Look at verse 51 through 56. Talking about God who's going to pass it down to generations, who is her Savior, who is powerful and mighty to do these things to other generations. Verse 51, He, this God, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. By the way, I hope the... Uh, the White House, the State House, the City Hall hears that. Amen. God exalts and God brings down. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. The lowly for what? In the context of salvation, the context of mercy. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. Concerning what? Concerning salvation. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance 
of his mercy. He remembers his covenant of mercy. And he spoke to our, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Mary has hurried to spend time with Elizabeth that has something of like miracle, commonality to the good news. Then when she hears the confirmation of who's in her womb based off who's in Elizabeth's womb and how humble even she is, she responds with humility. She heralds humility and says, I rejoice that God come to save me. I receive God's salvation, and I'm going to recite it, not only in my life, but to other generations. Now, at the end of her song, her saying, she highlights with confidence. Confidence in what? The good news, not in her own confidence. She highlights with confidence a common trust of the good news. Mary proclaims God's power to lift the lowly out of sin, out of need. Mary proclaims God's power to satisfy the needy, those that are hungry. He says, the rich, they're already satisfied, but the poor, I'm going to feed their need. The hungry, I'm going to feed their need. Those that are high and lifted up, they've already had their reward. I'm going to lift the lowly. She proclaims God's plan that through this child in her womb and through the predecessor that will proclaim him of his coming, God has a plan for not only Israel, his people, that is, those that are true believers of Israel, but for the world. And in this highlighting of confidence, Mary proclaims God's power to lift the lowly, lift the humble in an exalted place that they don't deserve. And God is proclaimed that he has the power to satisfy those that are hungry. They don't have enough righteousness. They're hungry for right. So he's going to have the power to give it to them. God is being highlighted details about his gospel. It's one thing to say, believe that Jesus is the Savior. And that God loves you. But if I don't tell you how God loves you and how his son was sacrificed for you, you're going to act like me when I grew up. Well, God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. Until I'm age 21 and realize, oh, he did something to love me because I needed that love and I couldn't be good enough to get saved. I, I, until I realize there's a need to be saved, then, there, then I have no clue about a Savior. Mary is lifted by God's righteousness. She is filled by God's righteousness. She is remembered by God's righteousness. The living confirmation of the Savior in this instance births joy, peace, and righteousness within Mary so that all would fear God. All would come to God and trust his mercy. It is in the story of Elizabeth and Mary that we find the mercy of God. Mercy is something. When, If I knew that David was guilty of robbing a bank, not that he would do that, but if I knew he was guilty and I pardoned him as the state governor, that just means he's not going to be punished for what he did. But he's still guilty, isn't he? 
That's not what God did when he saved you. He didn't pardon David from his sins. He showed mercy on David in spite of his sins. He gave him what he didn't deserve. He cleansed him. He didn't just pardon him and say, just don't punish him. He cleansed him and abolished whatever David had ever done and showed him mercy when he didn't deserve it. And it's an everlasting mercy because it's said in our text that it's that as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed, what? Forever. It's a forever gospel. That's why it's good news. When Elizabeth understands the grace and mercy of God that is just bestowed upon her to have a child outside of her age and that this child would be named John that would precede the Messiah, that was good news. And it was something she didn't deserve. And Zacharias, her husband, didn't deserve it. Matter of fact, he didn't even believe it. So God kind of made him a mute for a while until he's birthed. We'll see that next week. And then he'll proclaim the day of the Lord. And Mary didn't deserve it. She was just a young lady doing her thing being her devout Jewish person, being betrothed to Joseph, and God entertained her and showed her mercy. He gave her what she didn't deserve. And in this living confirmation of the Savior, we ought to be people as believers. We ought to be a people like Mary. We should seek out with great haste like she did. We ought to seek out with great haste another believer of common experience, of common miracle. That's why the Bible says that your spirit bears with my spirit that we are the children of God, that when we begin to talk about those kind of things, like my friend Randy that I street preach with, we just begin to pop rivets and begin to ask who goes to church and everything. And pretty soon, man, we had something in common. We knew Jesus. And we both, in our case, knew him at, a, at an older age in our 20s. And we had something in common. And like Mary, we need to seek out with haste those of like biblical miracle experience of salvation because it is in those relationships that you're going to be strengthened. It's in those relationships that maybe the Elizabeth says something to you and you go, wow, and you give a magnificent. Or you're the Mary that just says, how you doing? And then you're the Elizabeth that goes, whew. You know, when that happens, because you're seeking out another believer like Mary did, you have that common blessing, and therefore you get confirmation, you get confidence. You realize you're not the only one. You realize you're not on an island. You realize that you're part of a body. So like Mary as a believer, this is the challenge to the believer, the invitation to the believer, we ought to, we ought to like Mary, seek out with haste those of like Biblical salvation experience. You know why? Because iron sharpens iron, Proverbs 27. Because all of a sudden, now that I know David, even if I wasn't pastor here, but if I ran into David at, up at the Walmart and we got to know each other, maybe swap a few texts, there might be a moment in my life because I've, because I've connected with him or someone else that when life happened, I might shoot him a text. I got a text from a guy I haven't talked to since 1982. The last time I saw him, we played some soccer game over in West Tulsa. And I think I got thrown out of the game because I punched somebody in the face. That was the only time I ever got a red flag, a red um, card. But I'm just saying, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. But that day, I was different. I was lost. That's the last time I saw that guy. But two weeks ago, I got a text. You know how I got that text? He lives in Texas. 
his wife's had this cancer for about four or five years. They've been battling it. It's a particular kind of cancer that's not quick. But this person over here told this person that his wife was down of cancer. And this person goes, oh, I didn't know that. He's, he's one of my best friends. So they went down to visit them to kind of say the goodbyes because they don't know how much longer she's got. And while they're visiting with him, they're telling him about Steve who changed and how he saw me on that street corner and he's the hospice chaplain. And all he did is he shoot me a text, hey, Steve, could you give me a call? It's like, yeah, I hadn't heard from Mike since 1982. But I got on that phone and we talked about hospice, what it is, what it's not, what their VA options are and things that I learned from my social workers. And then we had prayer. And after that prayer, because Mike hadn't seen me since 82 and I got saved in 83, he goes, Steve, he said, this overjoys me. I said, well, what do you mean, Mike? He said, man, he said, I always wondered about you. You were crazy. I said, yeah, I know, I was stupid. And he said, tell me, and I shared with him my testimony. And he began to cry over the phone. And I said, well, what's wrong, Mike? You know, you, your wife will get, no. He said, I knew the Lord all the time, and I just never shared it with you. I'm sorry. I said, Mike, I don't know. Don't, don't even go there, brother. I said, God took care of that. You know what? We've got to find people. Seek them out to have that common faith, that common miracle that's happened to us. One of the things that I do as a pastor is I have a list of names. And I'm not going to tell you who's on that list. But on that list, at the top list, which is usually a smaller list, it's somebody that I can say anything to. I mean anything. It's a small list. Then the next level is people that I can say most things to. And at the bottom of the list is people I can just say some things to. Even Jesus had an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. It doesn't mean he didn't love the other disciples, but he brought them a little bit deeper in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? He was the one that allowed them to see the, the great transfiguration. You need a list of those friends. I have a list of those friends. They're all over my phone. I send them crazy texts all the time, maybe at midnight or whatever. But I send them texts, a list of those friends, just like Jesus had friends. Jesus needed his friends in the Garden of Gethsemane, did he not? But yet he was fully God but yet fully man. So we, like Mary, need to, with haste, seek out those people of common miracle faith. The second thing we need to learn as a Christian is, like Mary, who sought out with haste that common fellowship, we need to find out with humility the place in which God has placed us in the body of Christ and the redemptive story. She knew that she needed a Savior, but she also rejoiced because she had a place, a part in that redemptive narrative, that redemptive story. You and I, like Mary, need to find out with humility, where's my place? What lane am I supposed to be in? Where has the Spirit of God placed me in the body of Christ? How has the Spirit of God gifted me? A lot of people... Uh, doing hospice work. They're kind of disconnected from church for a long time because of their health. Uh, the pastor has no mind-reading pills. He don't know they exist. And I show up, and they just think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread because I go to visit them once, twice a month. But you know, when we find these people and we find our place in the body of Christ and we realize that everybody in the body of Christ has a part 
is important. It's legitimately part of that redemptive story. We need to find our place with humility like Mary did. And last but not least to the Christian, like Mary who sought out that fellowship, found out her place in the redemptive story, she also reached out. Because in this great discourse, she says, just as I have seen God as my Savior, that gospel will come through my reputation and they'll see me blessed and it will go to other generations. I reach out. Mary saw the concept of reaching out with God's truth through this proclamation. She saw that not only is she going to be blessed, but others will be engaged by the gospel of God to be saved and know that God is their Savior. We need to find our place. We need to find our people. And then when we do, we need to look for opportunities of expressing, of expressing what we have in common, what we know is true, speak of what we've seen and heard and know to be true, like Mary, this good news. Now, your expression may come in words. If you know me, I like to think out loud a lot, so I'll just keep talking all day. I'll have a story for everything. i got a joke for everything. I mean, that just came in my head, the stupid yell joke, you know, because we're having a Christmas party. But it may be words, or it may be silence, like my wife, she's very quiet. So it may be expressed, this, this outreach may be expressed not only through words, but through actions or silence. It may be expressed in attitude, understanding. One of the things I learned as a chaplain on my pastoral care is that I'm not there to fix their problem because, listen to me, I can't fix cancer. I can't fix Alzheimer's. I can't fix dementia. I can humor you when you tell me the sky is green and the... And the grass is blue. I'm going to say, oh, that's pretty interesting, green and blue. I know how to humor them. But I can't fix it. You know why? Because I'm not there to fix them. I'm there to understand where they're at and meet them where they're at, just like Jesus did. As we express through reaching out, it might be words, it might be actions, it might be attitudes. It might just be prayer. Prayer is foundational. It might be prayer. It might be attitudes. And I've learned that over the year, working in manufacturing, working in the church, working in hospice, doing corporate chaplain, drafting, whatever. I've learned that I'm going to engage people at different levels with different skill sets, and you engage them, but you're reaching out. That's the invitation to the believer. Have you found your people? Have you found your purpose? Find your mission with God. A lot of churches I've pastored before, uh, I'm sure they don't mean it this way, but they act like if they hired me to do everything, you know, bulletins, everything. And I'm okay with all that because that's just the way it was back then. But you would think, someone might say, can I help you, pastor? Something you need, pastor? It's like they just wanted to hire somebody to do it all. The professional, right? And we do that in our schools. We, we hire our teachers just to teach our kids. And then we wonder when they come home if we don't help them. You know, and then the teacher gets frustrated, and then it gets crazy. We're here. Yes, I'm leading as the under-shepherd, and we're all part of this body, and we're functioning to teach little children. But as we teach those little children the truth, hopefully we're only confirming 
what's already being taught in the home. That's how it works. So as a believer, seek out healthy friendship. Find out your humble purpose where you fit in the redemptive plan. Reach out with hands folded, trusting God, trusting God. So many times I listen to sermons on the radio. I don't do the internet too much. Radio, maybe TV. And you would think the way they preach the end times, we ought to be wringing our hands and worry. Oh, oh. Someone texted me. As soon as Israel was attacked, I got a text from one of my friends that was former military. How's Joey? Oh, it's fine, I guess. I haven't got my 24-hour phone call. He's fine. And you, everything they were saying, they were... Oh. But he's up there in Djibouti, Africa. I'm like, he's fine. And so I had to calm that friend down who has military experience. I said, look, I said, listen, when Joey signed up in the military, it was just Army Guard. It's weekend warrior, but he's, he's, he's volunteered to go deployment. I said, well, I'm going to tell you something about my G.I. Joey. I said, what's that? When he, I said, when he told us what his MOS was, he wanted to be a medic, which is dangerous enough. You know, you've got to be out there taking care of people. He said, but mom and dad, they didn't have a bonus on that, and they didn't have any openings for medics. I was like, okay, I guess you just want a bunny. He said, yeah, I got a bonus. I signed up to be a 13 Foxtrot, and we go, what's that? He said, well, I can't be sitting back. I got to be out front. That's why I chose medic. They didn't have it, so I chose the 13 Foxtrot. What's that, Joey? I am a forward observer for the artillery. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I go in front of the artillery, out on my own with one other person to scout it out, call in the coordinates, call in hellfire, and watch the enemy get destroyed, and then I come back. He said, but mom and daddy, said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I'm not afraid to die. I know where I'm going. So as my friend began to, oh, and Israel, and I said, whoa, whoa, calm down, dude. Joey knows where he's going. Even if it is today, I don't have a death wish. You and I ought to reach out with folded hands that say, not wringing our hands in worry, but folding our hands and talking to the one who is worthy. We all like to worry. The news wants you to worry. Sometimes what we call sensational Christianity wants you to worry. But listen, go to the one that's worthy. What does this mean to a non-believer? And we'll have Ken come up here in a moment. He can start coming up here. But to a non-believer, they need to hurry like Mary. They need to hurry and confirm the good news is, they need to come to one of you and say, is Jesus the Savior? And we'll say, yes, he is. If you're here today in the sound of my voice, you need to come to someone in this room or someone over the waves and call them and say, is this true? You need to come and hurry like she did to confirm the good news. You need to humble yourself and surrender that it is God's will through Jesus Christ. And therefore, when you come to him, you will herald the good news yourself. Because at that cross, there's not only a transaction of his righteousness upon you and your sins upon him. But listen, when he proclaims you righteous through Jesus Christ, did you know there's a transformation? Because then he places within you a desire for righteousness. That's being born again. If you're within the sound of my voice, I would beg you, seek one of us out to pray about this good news. Or reach out to one of us and talk about it. 
But if God is tugging on your heart, cry out to God today. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Brother Kim. Let's stand and sing page number 154. 